I will awaken speedily for the sake of all sentient beings and for all beings wishing them wisdom, compassion, and non-clinging awareness. So we enter into the section on uh, refuge and precepts. Any questions tonight? By the way, we are right on track. Exactly. The midpoint is Tuesday. Actually, Wednesday would be the midpoint between the two. So we have um, eight pages to go before the midpoint. So it's not like I'm calculating or anything. It's not, that's good to keep. It's actually good to keep on track, and it's it's, it's a good pace. I really really like this pace. Uh, wonderful. Introduction. Any questions? Oh yes. It does no question about it. <laughs> it is the root of impeding. Well, the root is delusion, but 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 that's that's pretty close. Okay. Yeah. And then, if anger based on fear is about unlove, it is. Okay. Yes. So, could anger and frustration be seen as being an ally? Because if we're feeling Frustrated, which, as you know, I do from time to time. So, yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, could that be like an ally to, as a reminder that I'm, I'm not caring for myself, and for it to be used as a, a, a reminder? So, if I was to take care of myself, then that would maybe lessen the anger and frustration. Yeah, yes, 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 and no. There's many yeses and there's many no's. First of all, uh, the expression taking care of oneself. Uh, benevolence f towards oneself, uh, one has to be careful because unless, uh, through the practice of loving kindness alone, it, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, vanquish uh, uh, anger. It can suppress it. So uh, taking care of yourself in this case, would taking care of yourself and others in this case, would mean deeper and deeper practice um, of insight, penetrative insight. This is a common difficulty is people that are even mindful, or quite mindful, supposedly quite mindful, um, have profound, uh, deep, deep states uh, or patterns of anger and frustration, even rage left in there that they don't even know about. Or beings that take care of themselves but don't challenge themselves or don't encounter, uh, don't let themselves encounter dif difficult situations, challenging situations, then um, only rarely hit pockets of frustration, anger. So it depends what you mean by taking care of yourself. To me, taking care of yourself is both practicing loving kindness and compassion, but for, for absolutely sure, 
uh, deeper and deeper um, penetration of the nature of, uh, of, of wisdom, the nature of the way it is, because that's actually really what clears out uh, these states. And then um, conjoined with the uh, work of the inner channels, the work, work of the channels, the winds, the drops, the inner yogas, uh, it, it, it speeds along greatly and flushes out uh, stuck breath, stuck uh, energies that are very, very hard to get at. Because it's greatly challenging. And it's very deep. It's like uh, deep cleansing. You know, let me tell you. Sometimes there are people that come around here and they, uh, they assume that everything can be cleaned with a vinegar and baking soda. And when I take a look, I see it's actually not clean. Now, it doesn't mean that some things can't be, because they can. But every once in a while, you need deep cleaning. And you need Windex. <laughs> so we prefer not to use Windex here. Um, because of the septic tank and, and, and other reasons, a septic field. But uh, it's the same thing. Sometimes you, you really need powerful deep cleaning and, uh, and also placing yourself in challenging, in challenging um, situations to see what's, what's uh, left, where the pockets are. So, um, the most profound, uh, the contemplation of loving kindness. Uh, uh, can uh, profoundly into, con into compassion lead you to contemplate uh, the um, Four Noble Truths and uh, the nature of mind, for sure, if you have the quintessential instructions. If you don't, it's more peacefulness. It leads to being peaceful and being nice, which uh, does not necessarily uh, lead to awakening. Any others? Any others that I can help you with? Yes. Um, anger and aversion. So there is sometimes you hear desire, attachment, anger, delusion, or you hear different words, mm -hmm. different translations of the, of the three poisons. Do you have a distinction between those? Two? Oh, they all have subtle distinction. You have to. We'd have to go to the Oxford English Dictionary and just sort of look up those flavors. But it depends what the emphasis is. Sometimes you need to call uh, anger rage. Sometimes you need to call anger frustration. Depends on the flavor of the moment. Uh, uh, irritation, fear. If you if you really are in a state of love, there's no fear. Uh, but you may have systemic fear when the uh, white, the great white is bearing down on you. But if you really, 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 really fully had uh, a heart of, of, of great compassion and love, uh, you may want to feed it. That would, be, that would be extraordinary. But there are many stories of great yogis and yoginis who've done those, the, you know, who've been in those situations and people witnessed it. And uh, they have. They've gone ahead and uh, fed the animal or the torture, whatever it is, uh, their bodies um, out of love. So it depends on, on what you're trying to bring out, what you're trying to, to, to reflect and, um, and highlight. Just the same with greed. Greed can go all the way from, from just a gentle wanting to a total lust 
to have and possess. Anywhere in that scale. Anywhere along that scale. Of just the slightest, yep, I'd like that. All the way through, I'm going to possess it. As, you know, she will be mine. I'm going to have it. And, you know, maniacal greed. Sort of thing. Over the top. Lusting, lusting, lusting. And delusion can go anywhere from just uh, anywhere slightly from um, the slightest non-understanding of the way things are all the way to full-blown full blown delusional schizophrenia. All, all the way, right up. Or just living in a hell state. I mean, here you're, you know, you can be on Galliano doing a retreat and you're, and you're in full-blown hell. Right? There's people pouring... Uh, Chasing around, pouring uh, molten uh, bronze down your throat. And like, what are they up to? <laughs> yeah, really. Really, really, really. Well, if you've spent time around a, uh, being in a full-blown schizophrenic uh, episode, you'll know that that's actually uh, the case. And, they, and they're feeling it. And it's for real. So, Any, Anywhere from just misapprehension of reality, <laughs> normal, or, or even things like, uh, things that harm you, and you go, you know, that's really good for me. You know, everybody's looking at you like, what? Yeah, yeah, it's really good for me. You know, that sort of thing. And uh, just that on that level, all the way to massive delusion. So it depends. No, it depends on the, on the words. It depends on the moment. What, what's best to describe it? That's why it's lovely to have language like that. Any others? So Oxford English Dictionary for you, so ask you. Look up what those words actually mean and, and see if they make, make sense. It's good to have vocabulary. You know, working on your vocabulary is good because it actually works on the scope of, 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 of how free-ranging and deep your, uh, potentially, how free-ranging and deep your, concept, your concepts can be and how you can communicate those to others and yourself. So words are very important. You see many places in the teaching, and many places commonly in the teaching, I say common usage, and even in some texts, poo-pooing the intellect. Poo-pooing the sharp intellect. Poo-pooing use of words. Yes, you see that? Yeah, you see that. And yet, you look at beings like Gampopa, their training. The Dalai Lama, the 14th Dalai Lama, the 13th Dalai Lama, and so on and so on and so forth. Tsongkhapa, shall, shall I go on? Naropa, Atisha, Anamjo Rinpoche, Amipam Lama, all the great of the, the, the recent great uh, Nyingma masters. Boom, 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 boom. Scholar yogis. Incredibly refined intellects. Beautiful use of words. Beautiful quality of speech and communication. Yes? Writing supreme. Beautiful poetry. All these things, yes? Why? Manifestation of the enlightened mind. If it's with awareness and compassion. So be careful about this poo-pooing words. Words uh, are very, very important. And it can be a sign. It can be. It can also be a sign of of phony intellectualism. Hmm? But it can also be a sign if it's used well, of how 
flexible and wide-ranging the consciousness is by how, not just the scope of the vocabulary, but how many words one can use. So, for instance, let me come back to coffee tasting. You knew I'd get to that at some point tonight. But the, the, when you start with coffee tasting, you, you go, nice coffee, or nice tea, right? Or a nice yogurt um, fruit drink. Or the soil feels good, right? You have some soil, you go, yeah, soil, 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 right? And then after a while, you get the subtleties of soil, and you go, a bit of clay, a bit of loam, suitable for this plant, but not suitable for this plant. Works with this, works, this sandy soil works beautifully with a sedum or with a succulent, but actually would kill another plant. You see? That is a vocabulary. That is a range of, of handling information that shows a mind that can handle, handle multiple scope of, of experience. Make sense? So that's why these different translations. That's why it's good, really good to engage in different words and play with the words in your mouth and go, what does that word really mean? And then when it comes to uh, mindfulness and awareness, what words are going through your mind and what words are being used with others when they come out? And what's the energy they convey? Which of the five poisons are they conveying? Are they conveying greed, hatred, delusion, pride, and jealousy? Do you see that? And by hearing the tone and hearing the quality and the muscle tones in the body and seeing other people and how they express uh, with their face, what comes out with their words may have nothing to do. The body is telling everything it needs to know. Two, two totally different things. But I said this. Yes, but you didn't mean that. I used to have meetings where people would go, uh, I'm, you know, say, so is, who's going to do this? I'll take care of that. And I'd write in my notebook, will not ever take care of it. Will not complete it. The eyebrow went up, the muscles went up, the body went in a certain way, and I went, never, never will be done. I used to have a fellow I used to work, work with, consultant for, and uh, quite often he would go, uh, oh, 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 for sure we're going to take care of that. Oh, absolutely, we're going we're gonna to take care of that. You just said no. Go, what do you mean? Well, you're, you said yes, but your head went no. So I, 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 when you do that, I know that you won't do it. You don't mean it. So well, let's cut that out. Let's cut it out and let's get to the chase. So you don't want to do it and you're not going to do it, right? Uh, after a while, you have to do that with people. Just this, why, why are we having this conversation when you're not going to do it? Because you're... Your head is going like this, and you're telling me you're going to do it, which is another way of saying a bureaucratic yes, which means no. Is it? So. Good. Shall we carry on there on the text? Yeah. Introduction to the antidote to not knowing, introduction to the antidote to not knowing the method of practice. So this is going to help you know how to actually uh, carry out um, the path to Buddhahood. Now this will explain the Dharma of cultivating the mind towards supreme enlightenment as the antidote to not knowing the method of the practice for achieving Buddhahood. The summary. Foundation, essence, classification, objectives, cause, from whom you receive it, method, beneficial effects, disadvantages of losing it, the cause of losing it, method of repairing, and training, these 12 comprise the cultivation of bodhicitta. So what are you cultivating? 
you're, uh, you're not cultivating bok choy, okay? Get it. What are we doing here? What are we always doing, no matter what we're doing? We're mining, cultivating, growing, uh, revealing the scope of the enlightenment mind. That's, so if you ever get lost, come back to the book, come back and ask your teacher, go to a dharma. What is it that you we're actually on about? Oh, we're on about meditation. No, 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 no. Yes, ultimately, because ultimately meditation means the nature of mind. Yes, it means bodhicitta. So remind yourself, you're on about the full expression of the enlightenment mind and all this practice, study, practice, training, life, is to reveal that. And you keep revealing it. Is is that straightforward? Do we need to say more? We, the royal we. Do we need to say more? No, that's what we're on about. All meditations uh, of uh, the Mahayana, if you wish, Mahayana view, are to reveal, uh, scrape away, open up, smooth, massage, uh, reveal the uh, enlightenment mind that wishes uh, liberation for, for all beings, because that is liberation. Cultivating. That's a beautiful word, actually. I like to call it cultivating. You don't actually even grow it. You just cultivate it. You don't even generate it, really. You don't generate it. You reveal it. You just uh, allow it to come out more and more by laying, out, laying in the seeds, the right fertilizer and water, and uh, away you go. Chapter 8, Refuge and Precepts. Number 1, Foundation. First, the foundation for cultivating the mind of supreme enlightenment is a person who, A, so you need these, belongs to the Mahayana family, B, has taken refuge in the Three Jewels, C, maintains any one of the seven Pradimoksha vows, and D, has has aspiration bodhicitta. So, you, you, it's good if you reflect on this and go, are you one of these beings? And if you're not, you couldn't be here, oddly enough. But you may not know that yet. <laughs> these form the foundation from which to cultivate action, bodhicitta. Action means real, real enlightenment mind. A person with the qualities up to taking refuge is the basis for cultivating aspiration, bodhicitta. So in that talk I gave at 9 o'clock, or I think it was about 9.30 the other day, before the uh, precepts and refuge ceremony, uh, I described both, yes? That which is the aspiration and that which is the actual uh, cultivation or activity. So you need two. One is you can wish for everybody, you can wish for yourself to be enlightened. I want to be free. But unless you actually do acts of that, it doesn't go anywhere. I want to go to Milwaukee. Guess it's not happening. I want to go to Milwaukee. How come we're not in Milwaukee? Because there's no, there's no action. There's no manifestation. This is because, as mentioned in the Bodhisattva Bhumis, at, that's the, in the um, uh, forthcoming uh, chapters, aspiration bodhicitta is required in order to cultivate action bodhicitta. In other words, 
we could shorten this down. The aspiration comes first before the the aspiration comes first before the action. Just to know how you lay it down. Intention. Intention mind. You know, because you realize whatever you intend, uh, you end up there. But you don't always end up there very strongly. I want to go to Milwaukee. So you get out the door. Today we were working on getting out to uh, North Cable Bay. Well, at least we got our bathing suits. That's the first step. And maybe tomorrow or the next day we'll actually get to the beach, but we, at least we got our bathing suits, even got our bathing suits on, and got in the car and headed that way. It was too late. But, but you see, at least we're moving in the right direction. But we still have the aspiration. We really haven't manifested. A manifest it means, means going out to the beach. Yes, actually doing it. We're getting close, but close is not enough. The, the text, the lamp for the path to enlightenment, says that refuge must be taken in order to cultivate aspiration for each other. So what it's saying is, another way of saying this is, are you all, let me know if you're not following, please, because we can put it on the board and I can clarify. It's, it's actually quite straightforward. It's not complicated. In the aspiring, in the aspiring to become enlightened, if one doesn't take refuge then the cultivation won't happen. Does that make sense? It, it just won't happen. And I've seen many instances. Now, the other way it will happen, you see, and can happen, is if you're a natural, your stream of being is naturally gifted, naturally shaped by refuge from previous formations, then taking refuge formally is less important, but still helps you a lot. In other words, you've already taken refuge. Long time ago. Matter of fact, if you have a really strong connection with your, your Dharma teacher, the moment you meet them, you've take, the moment you meet them and you make a decision, I want to study with that being, you've actually taken refuge in, in, in Tantra. In Vajrayana, it's finished, it's over. But it's still not as strong and powerful as a formal public ceremony. Stating it, reading it, and stating it. Is it? Is it like a, a way of making yourself accountable? No, it's like upping the ante. Okay. It's like putting bigger seeds in. It's it's like you you've got a little bit of fertilizer in there, but you're going to exhaust the fertilizer. So you may as well get a really good fertilizer. You know, kelp 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 fertilizer number forty five instead of the soil you found out in the garden. You know what I mean? That sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Really strong fertilizer. Then every time it gets watered, it keeps blossoming. Yeah. You know, the, the, uh, one keeps oneself accountable in some ways, and, and then you hopefully have a teacher that keeps you accountable <laughs> when you come to visit. And also, uh, let's see, Lamp of the Path of Enlightenment also says that in order to cultivate action bodhicitta, uh, one of the prati moksha vows, one of the precept levels, either a lay or monastic, monastic, uh, bhikkhu, bhikkhu uh, wandering levels, is required. Why? Uh, there's, there's nothing, nothing, nothing harnesses one's being in terms of mindfulness and non-harm and growth as uh, the precepts. Now, you still might be a good being. You say, well, you know, I don't drink very much. Occasionally I drink. I have a drink. Occasionally I get tipsy. Okay. And you know, I don't steal. 
I don't murder. I don't kill things. Okay, I kill a couple bugs. And I don't have any sexual misconduct. And I'm a, you know, I'm a pretty nice being. But by actually taking the precepts and bringing them to mind, it's amazing how those, that contemplation takes you deeper and deeper and deeper into a place that supports your liberation, supports other beings. It's profound. It makes also like refining, right? Refining, mm-hmm. yes. Exactly. Beautiful word. Refining, refining, refining. But that refining is not because you're just being clever and being refining for the sake of refining. That refining actually takes your liberation. There are beings who have practiced the Pradimoksha vows, whether it's the five precepts and others, uh, or the, the ones from monastic, who've become enlightened practicing it. That's how powerful they are. People go, oh yeah, well, you know, so what if I make a few slip-ups? It's not about that. It's, do you understand the basis of non-harm and that the non-harm will take you so far? It will, I mean, so far, it will, it will t- I'll say it another way. It will take you very, very far. The purification is incredibly deep. But then you might say, well, why do you want to do this? Because you're resisting an awake, clean, clear mind. Well, then I'll be a do-goody, goody, goody, goody. No, you won't. You won't. You'll actually be a saint. That means your mind will be very, very strong and very clear why certain actions make sense and certain actions don't make sense. Right? Simple. You start to straighten it out. The treasury of Abhidharma says that taking refuge is necessary in order to receive a Pratimoksha vow. The Bodhisattva Bhumis mentions that without the Mahayana family, one cannot receive the Bodhisattva vow even if one cultivates the mind through the ceremony. That means that even if you attend a ceremony, which is, a, which is the Mahayana ceremony of, of uh, refuge, precepts, and Bodhisattva commitments, or, or attending the uh, Awankur, a Vajrayana Awankur, if you are not in the right predisposition towards liberation, it won't bear fruit. Therefore, all the necessary elements must be connected and gathered. But you see, it doesn't necessarily work because you've taken a formal vow. It works because your being is already immersed in that stream, as we'll find out. A, the Mahayana family. Generally, so always look at that word, generally. Generally. Generally, one should have the Mahayana family. We'll review that. But particularly, one should be in the awakened family. You might be going, whoa, what is this? The awakened family. Am I in the awakened family? Mm, These details should be understood as explained in the first chapter. Well, the first chapter is saying there are people, there are are, uh, individuals that clearly manifest the signs of awakeness, not because they're fully awake, but manifest signs of awakeness, compassion, non-harm, the caring for beings, and so on. These good qualities, yes? It's out there. You can see it. It's out there. Some people can see it. Some people can't. But then you see there are those that have it but don't show it and don't even really know that they have it, but they're latent in them. 
Do you know what latent? Latent. They're, they're, they're hidden away. Latent. They're below the surface. And yet, the qualities of the person really show they have it, even though they're not ripe in that being. And that's why some of them end up coming to a long course. You know, just, I'm here. Why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. They find themselves a teacher. Oh, they walk, you know, all of a sudden they're in a refuge ceremony. They have a Dharma name. And why? Because it's not obvious, but it's obvious. It's not obvious to them. But they are of the Mahayana family, and actually, because of their stream of being, they're awakening. They want awakening. But it may not be yet ripened. There may be some other reason. I'm coming to Dharma talks because of uh, uh, I'm interested in Buddhism. I'm going to university classes on Buddhism because I'm interested in the, um, the history and the culture of uh, Dharma. And I want to study uh, uh, the intellectual basis of uh, Buddha Dharma. Really? <laughs> These kinds of things, yes? And being able to see that. See that. I'm really interested in the nature of consciousness, actually. Oh, really? I'm interested in interplanetary consciousness. Hmm. So there's, uh, as you, if you read, reread the, uh, the first chapter there, you'll see the Mahayana family can be of two types. And the signs can be obvious, and the signs may not be very obvious, but they're there. So that's why it says generally, and that's why uh, one really should be in the awakened family, not just the Mahayana, which means you, you want freedom. You may not be able to even express what it is. You just want freedom. It's written all over you, but you want freedom. And you're actually quite a nice person. Quite a good being. Even if you don't think so. B, taking refuge in the three jewels. To explain the second topic, the object in which to take refuge, you may ask whether to take refuge in the powerful deities, Brahma, Vishnu, Mahadeva, and so forth, or in the powerful deities and Nagas of one's country who abide in mountains, boulders, Lakes or trees and so forth. So, in other words, they're sorting it out again. You have to understand, this is from a different culture. You're going, I don't, I don't, that doesn't interest me. I'm not, I'm not going to take refuge in a Naga, in a Naga spirit. That's not my culture, that's something that they believe in. But you see, look at, look at this culture. It's saying gods. What's the, what is the best selling newspaper in the world? Now you tell, go, this is where how you find refuge. We once did this. Went in Rosalind, I gave a class, said to people, go to the, it was a re- weekend retreat. First thing I'd, I got them to do, go to the, the magazine rack, whatever store that was, go to, the, go to the magazine rack and buy a lot, go look at all the magazines, do a survey of all the magazines, find out what their message is and bring a whole bunch back. We're going to look at them. What do people take refuge in? What is the best selling overall newspaper in the world. Pretty close. I think it's called National Mail or something like that. It's a gossip rag. It's a, it really makes a lot of money. It is basically, excuse me, as I've read uh, from statistics, it's a female gossip rag. And it's incredibly well-selling. 
And it's all stories, all just gossipy stories and made-up stories. And the National Choir follows, I think, a close second. UFOs had talked to the president last night with a photograph, right, of an alien shaking hands with the president on the cover. Great. Where do our beings taking refuge? In, in terms of solace and happiness, comfort, direction, and their belief of freedom, not even freedom, happiness. Where is it? This is what you should examine. If I can give this to you as a contemplation, go see what this culture, Western culture, European culture, Western European culture, is engaged in as their form of refuge. What was it in Indian culture uh, 1,500 years ago. Gods. If you go, go to India, I'd like to take you all to India. Go examine that, yeah, if you haven't been. Go talk to, to common people, or even not common people. Ask them where they want to be reborn. Ask them where they'd like to go on the planet. They'll tell you. Hollywood. United States. Why? You can make money. You can live like a god like there. However, it can work the opposite way. Met a fellow at a hotel who was not a porter, the front. You see, in India, you have to know the title of things. I don't know the title. The man that stands in front of the hotel and welcomes people in and out, but doesn't really do anything. Like Just a doorman. a doorman, but. Concierge. Not even concierge. No. More of like a, okay, a doorman. A Opens a door, greeter, how are you? So uh, someone got talking, you know, found out about what they're... Well, it turns out, university degree from um, Australia, had a house, obviously from a, from a very well, from a well-to-do family, had a house or an apartment condo in Sydney, was it? Or, I forget. forget, Melbourne, something like that. Finished university and um, loved it, really liked it. But moved back to um, Chandigarh. Better godlike realm. Servants, staff, right? People take care of them, people to cook for you, cheaper food, live like a god. He's dormant. It's too expensive in Australia to do to live that godlike lifestyle. But for a lot of people over there, where do they want to move to? Here. Why? Because this is the refuge in the storm of samsara. But it still doesn't make you happy. So examine, examine where is, where, if your refuge isn't about the triple gem, where actually is your refuge? I'm, I'm really, really serious about this. Sort this out. Where are you expending your energy to be ultimately happy and then uh, realize that doesn't actually make you ultimately happy? Shoes? Dresses? More cars? A yacht, house, fancy house, better education. Where, where, what is your dream? What's the dream? The best guy, the, the right guy, married and have a lovely family, the right guy, the right gal, and you'll be happy? That's your refuge? What, what is it? What is it for you? External or internal? If I, if I just be happy inside, I'm happy. Cultivation, cultivating happiness, loving kindness. So, see, this is, this is, this is false refuge. It's not going to actually do it. 
And great teachers for thousands of years have been saying the same thing. It just can't do it for you. It's like a hamster going around in a cage on these little roller coasters where they have treadmills over and over and over, generating some energy. But that's about it. So then it says, Worldly beings take refuge in the deities, the mountains. What do we take refuge in? Not the deities, the mountains? Sometimes politicians, political parties, yes? I know people. Devote their lives to political... Banks. Banks. Money. What else? Refuge in parents, family, these kinds of things. Worldly beings take refuge in the deities, the mountains, forests, shrines, rocks, and trees. These are not supreme refuge. Should you take refuge in your parents, relatives, friends, and so forth, those who are kind to you and who benefit you? That's a question mark. Is that going to do it? What happens to the best, your best friends? Do they last forever? They feel like it. Sometimes they last a whole life, yes? Sometimes. But they can change anytime. They may move away. They may decide that they grow differently than you and you're no longer best friends. Has that happened to anybody in the room? Anybody in the room? Not best friends anymore. Why? Your view has changed. Is that dependable? Can you depend on any best friend as being your savior and bringing you to ultimate happiness? No. Temporary happiness? Yes. Parents? They're going to be around all the time? How many people have ever had a parent disappoint them? Just piss you off because they wouldn't do what you want them to do. Are they dependable? You know parents aren't dependable. You know that. They're incredibly undependable because when you want them to do something for you, they sometimes don't. Isn't that right? That's not, that's not going to do it. How about relatives? Any, anybody got relatives that are completely dependable? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> no. How about your spouse or partner, your loved one? Are they always dependable? No I should have had a mirror. I should have had a mirror like this to, sh to show you. Just a, a mirror, just right, right like this so you could look back, straight back there. I was waiting for that. Thanks, Susan. That doesn't mean that they're not lovable. It doesn't mean that you don't love them, that you care for them. But are they always going to do what you need them to do when you want it? And are you ever going to get ticked off at them because they didn't do it the way you expected to do it in the way that you wanted to do it? Does this sound familiar? Has that happened to anybody in this room? Let's see a show of hands. Oh, it's pretty universal. And have any of you experienced this fairly often? Can I see your hands back there? Come on, come on, be honest. Yeah, okay. That's fairly universal, isn't it? Okay, so is that going to bring you to... Uh, is that your source of refuge? No. It might be lovable. may make a nice family, all kinds of things, yes. be be lovely. But actually, it's not necessarily going to bring you um, profound... You know what I mean by profound? Profound happiness. Abiding continuum free happiness that doesn't rely on the certain person being a certain way. 
a friend being there for you when you need that friend to give you a hug or a kiss or some food or to chat when you need it at that time. Yes? Is that going to happen all the time? No. You're wise, aren't you? You're very wise. That's true. Okay. And so forth, it says. And so forth. Those who are kind to you and who benefit you. These also will not give you refuge. The representation, the manifestation of Manjusri Sutra says, quote, parents are not your refuge, relatives and friends are also not your refuge. They will go to their own destination and leave you. Your parents are going to eventually die, right? Your friend may not make it. They may not live as long as you. You may be destitute. I know this. I watched this happen. Friends die before you do. I know some people that are in their 70s and 80s, or 80s, no friends left. They feel really disheartened. Not a single friend left. And they're going to live another 15 or 20 years and no friends left. And that's what they live for. The bridge game. Bingo. Shuffle or whatever us old folks do as we get older. Why can't they give refuge? In order to give refuge, one should be clear, one should be free from all fear and have no suffering. How can you take refuge in something that doesn't live up to it? Does that make sense? It's a fantasy. These beings are not free from all fears and are in a state of suffering. Therefore, the Buddhas are the only ones who are completely free from suffering. Dharma is the only path to practice to Buddhahood, and the Sangha is the only guide to Dharma practice. Let me give you, you, let me give you, the, mechan, let me give you the auto mechanics refuge um, metaphor again. It's easy. It would be like taking refuge to fix your sophisticated car these days and take your refuge in an old manual lying around for an earlier model. You're in trouble. That wasn't a great metaphor, but it was close. It worked for me, but not really working for you. Therefore, we take refuge in these three. Thus, in, the, thus, in Sutra, it says, From today, take refuge in the Buddha, Dharma and Sangha, who protect those without protection and dispel the fear of those who are afraid. It doesn't matter where you go. If, you've, if you take genuine refuge in those qualities then you're okay. But if you don't, you will waste uh, time away being free. Even though they may have the power to give refuge, if I go to them for refuge, they will they really protect me? There is no reason to doubt this. The Sutra of the Great Parinirvana says, quote, by taking refuge in the Three Jewels, one will achieve the state of fearlessness. That's what you're asking, right? Fearlessness. You have to achieve fearlessness. Fearlessness about what? Well, you, it just doesn't really mean that you, you know, 
can't uh, jump if a lion creeps up behind you. You, you might. It doesn't, doesn't mean. Fearless about what? Phenomena. Stories. Phenomena. Sensations. Manifestations. Test yourself. Go pick up a newspaper and see how you do by reading the entire newspaper and see how you react. Go watch the nightly news. Go, go review the internet uh, access to, let's say, the Google uh, news stories. So many people murdered tonight. So many people massacred, blown up, war here, this sort of thing. How do you do? Are you swayed by, blown over, blown away? How do you do in, in work? Blown away by people's stories? Blown away by walking out of here and going to downtown Galliano? Downtown Galliano. It was like downtown Galliano. Either at the garage, either at the garage, or over at Daystar, you know, the corner store, and wiped out, blown away. Oh my God! It's tourist time. It's tourist time. Oh, are you. It's a good challenge, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Good practice. Good. <laughs> Go shopping on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. Did you find any food? Remnants, yeah. Even though they may have the power to give us, let's see, one will achieve the state of fearlessness. Remember that, fearlessness. Fearlessness about what? Fearless to give compassion, to be a compassionate being. Therefore, this will explain how to take refuge in these three. The summary, classification, working basis, objects, time, motivation, ceremony, activities, training, and beneficial effects... These nine comprise the explanation of taking refuge. Number one, classification. There are two categories of refuge, the common refuge and the special refuge. The working basis. There are also two different working bases. The common working basis is one who fears the suffering of samsara and holds the three jewels as deities. The special working basis is a person who possesses Mahayana family and the pure body of gods or humans. This is to do with um, seeing the three jewels as as deities and also or or as the um, three jewels, if you wish, as um, to do with Mahayana. Number three. Uh, actually, actually, what this means is is uh, experiencing or seeing the three refuges as a deity or uh, taking refuge in a tonka, or taking refuge in uh, theistic idea. Do you understand by this? Theistic idea that there's a Buddha out there, and if I pray to the Buddha, uh, that will save me. Make, make sense? An external object. Pardon? An external object. Or... Uh, not even that. That there are be- that, the, that the, the three jewels are actually living out there somewhere. And by praying to them and taking refuge, they're, they're going to take care of everything. Like, like, a, like a good parent? Like the big parent out there. That's theistic. This is, not, this is not Mahayana. Mahayana is saying either as in human form or pure body. What that means is uh, either taking refuge in Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, or Nimanakaya. That's a Buddha body. It's not the same as a, as a deity. It's an actual manifestation of Buddha mind or in a human being that has those qualities, and you can see it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's the difference. 
And remember, from the Buddha's time onward, no uh, enlightened being can enlighten you. They can support you. They can help you. They can give blessings. But you are the only being that can remove the defilements, ultimately remove the defilements. Beings can work very hard to help you, but you have to help yourself. Does that make sense? You must help yourself. As Ram Rinpoche often said, it would be great if we just you know, wave a magic wand and you're all done. But it isn't like that. It never has been like that. I was just going to comment on the, the back cover of the uh, latest Nam book, all the stories about Nam Jal. Mm-hmm. Awakening or something like that. There's a beautiful quote that says something about if the Lama could save you, he would have saved you mm-hmm. long ago. Mm-hmm. Take so, so take responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awareness, one's own awareness, liberates. But, um, but having having uh, having a, a heart, a heart, a teacher where there's a heart connection, and they're fairly quite awake, uh, helps a lot. Yes. It's taking refuge in Buddha nature then, in Buddha. Is it is it correct to say it's one's own Buddha nature or the Guru's Buddha nature or universal Buddha, nature? Buddha nature. Not one's own Buddha nature. But you might start off that way and say, uh, I am going to take refuge in my Buddha mind. I don't mind. Okay, for a time. I'm gonna take refuge in the nature of in the nature of my mind. That's okay. Go look for it until you find out it's not your mind, it's mind. So you take refuge in that. That's much better. But these are artificial distinctions. Yes, but they're useful, compassionate artificial distinctions. So most people are looking for their Buddha nature, not Buddha nature. You look into your own mind, yes? When you meditate, whose mind do you look into? When you, when you, when you meditate... Whose mind is it? Frank's? Who, who's? Who's? Who's mind? You're 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 looking at your mind, right? It feels like that. You, it feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Okay. So that's where you start. It's a good place, and that's what you want, right? You'd like to know the nature of your mind, right? Well, that's pretty good. So don't rush things. It's all down. It's okay. You need to you discover the uh, three Buddha bodies within your own being, and you discover the three body, Buddha bodies that pervade all of space. Objects. There are two. There are two objects of refuge. A explanation of the common objects. The common objects. This is a beautiful teaching. This is this this teaching is so. Um, what's the word? Clear. Clear, 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 clear. Yeah? It's all about removing sila bhatta paramasa, a blind belief in rule and ritual. Yeah? One of the greatest teachings that came out of the Buddha was sila bhatta paramasa. All this ritual, all these sacrifices, all this stuff does not awaken a being. 
explanation of the common objects. The common objects are the Buddha jewel, the blessed, the exalted one who possesses the perfection of purif purification, primordial wisdom, and excellent qualities. The Dharma jewel in two parts. The literature containing the twelve aspects of Dharma and the Dharma of realization, which consists of the truth of the path and the truth of cessation. The Sangha jewel. Do you know why jewel? Ah, you can't teach this today. Ah, forget it. No, I won't do that. You can't do that. Say, say the word jewel, and I look at you and you go, mm -hmm. because most of you have got diamonds, you've got rubies, you've got emeralds, you've got sapphires, you've got uh, pearls, and you've got uh, silver jewelry, and gold jewelry, and, and, and gold bars, and gold nuggets, and, and, and tourmalines, and uh, uh, spinels, you know, and um, morganite, and all these things. You've got all these things. You're jaded. <laughs> you can't even use the word jewel now. You'd be more efficient if you said, instead of jewel, you'd say, the three lasers. The three lasers. Because most people don't have lasers. Well, you do, you've got a laser pointer. You see, this is a problem. Because when they say the three jewels, 1,500 years ago, up until about 100 years ago, 150 years ago, nobody except nobility or high exalted teachers had any gemstones. One, you weren't allowed to have them. Kings had them. Nobility had them. Great Dharma teachers had them. You, you didn't have them. You, you, you didn't have... You didn't have a pearl. Understand? That's how rare it was. A pearl was found somewhere off the coast of India, made its way through trading, and maybe the Dalai Lama had a pearl. The emperor of China had some pearls. His wife may have had some pearls. Do you understand? So in the mind of an, of an Indian or a Tibetan, the word jewel means what? The highest exalted nature. Now I say jewel and you go, I got a bunch of jewels. I got jewels. Look at the jewels in this house. Probably more, more jewels than, than, a, than a king would have in many places. Not today, but... Right? And I get to make them. Not only that, I get to make them. Extraordinary, isn't it? So it's like, jewels? Three jewels? We need another word. Don't we? It's like blah, blah. Three jewels. We need another word. Can you come up with another word? What is so incredibly exalted that very, very few people have but represents a pinnacle of wealth and power and clarity and beauty? What is it? That would be beautiful. What, what kind of thing would it be? So look at our culture. We've been exposed to just about everything. That's something, eh? Could you come up with something? Jewel does not diminish. 
So you have like the Hope Diamond from so many years ago. Like it doesn't decay like just about anything else in the material world. Like you could have the fanciest iPhone, but it's going to be outdated. So there's something about like what could be more mm. precious, doesn't decay, and retains its value. As long as you don't handle a gemstone, it doesn't decay. They're fragile. That's what people, a lot of people don't, rec don't recognize. Gemstones are incredibly fragile. Just drop on the floor, and it, it often cracks and breaks. If they're handled as really precious objects, they can last decades or, hun or hundreds of years if passed down. But you often see they're chipped and broken. You look at people's rings, they're wearing them. They have no idea that that opal they're wearing in, in 10 years is going to be completely scratched to smithereens. It's soft. Every time it gets bumped on any surface, it's being scratched. Emeralds, sapphires, they're all being scratched to bits. Diamonds being chipped, little microchips. Chip, 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 chip. And the cleavage point. You need a microscope to see that. And eventually, after 10 or 15 years, what happened to the diamond I had? It was beautiful. Can you come up with anything? Private jets. Look where his money is. Private jets. Lamborghinis next, right? Ferraris. Okay, do you get the idea here? In the mind of up until maybe a hundred years ago, jewels were so rare, so precious, they could still act as a symbol of, oh my God. Someone brought out a small diamond. Oh my God, never seen it. Never even seen it in a museum. There were no museums. Do you know that? Up until the 18th, 18th century, 19th century, there were no museums. You didn't see the king's wealth. You didn't have uh, robber barons. Uh, no, you didn't have um, uh, a cap, a cap, I mean, uh, uh, wealthy beings that had raped, I mean, uh, 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 looted, uh, I mean, uh, uh, okay, amassed great fortunes. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and then get together and build something like the British Museum that houses incredible staggering wealth of things from all over the world, which have been <laughs> often looted, looted, <laughs> or removed, or at gunpoint, or whatever it is, yes, or hacked, hacked out of the Parthenon, you know, these sort of things. Yeah. But, but in their mind, they were doing what was uh, quite the British thing to do. Yeah? yeah, no, it was fine in those days. It was just what you did. So, so, so you understand what jewel means here? Something so precious, something so rare, something that is of the greatest nobility. Great. So we use the word jewel, and it's like, oh yeah, jewel, jewel. Maybe we should just use the, the Tibetan word, norbu, or rinchen, yeah? Norbu, rinchen. The ordinary Sangha is a community of four or more fully ordained ones. The Sangha of noble beings is called the four pairs or the eight individuals. This refers to different stages of the path attainment, of different stage of attainment. B, that will become clear uh, later. Uh, B, the special objects of refuge. Now, so that was common, now special. If that wasn't special enough, now, now special. The special objects of refuge are objects abiding in front of us those with full realization and suchness. That's the real refuge. 
suchness, real realization. In the first category, objects abiding in front of us, the Buddha is the images of the thus gone one. The Dharma is the Mahayana scripture. The Sangha is the community of bodhisattvas. In a state of full realization, the objects are the Buddha as the embodiment of the three kayas, the three Buddha bodies, the Dharma as the peace of the precious noble Dharma, and Nirvana and the Sangha consisting of the bodhisattvas who've attained the great Bhumis, really highly attained beings. Regarding the object of suchness, the Buddha alone is the object of refuge. Now this is, this is a profound one. What he means here is Buddha nature. But to grasp this is you have to grasp the historic importance of someone like the Buddha manifesting. Because when you study the, the teachings of the Buddha and what he did and, and what that started as a revolution, you can take refuge in that. Not because you're taking refuge in a dead guy but you're taking refuge in the absolutely awesome power to liberate of that kind of mind residing in that kind of clarity. Does that, does that make sense? So when I, when I often teach, I, I have mist come to my eyes, occasionally tears, to consider what an incredible genius of liberation the Buddha was. Do I take refuge in the Buddha? It's hard to when he's dead. But I take refuge in the, in the fact that what he started, what he taught, the awesome power of what he, he instigated, what he supported, has led to so many beings becoming free. Such extraordinary teachers. And ordinary beings will never know their names. You see, this is the thing. We'll never know their names. There's a book just published. I haven't read it. I just, I just saw the ad for it. I, I, mean, I may read it. I, I do have a few other things. But, but it looks like a glorious book. It's written by a, um, a uh, Bonn um, teacher. And it's a translation of the life histories of these unknown women who became full Buddhas in Tibet. These, these uh, retreat um, uh, yoginis who practiced very quietly and eventually appointed one, taught it all to one uh, uh, heir, one female. But it's the actual biography and stories uh, of recently of the, this group of women who practice together, I believe. I haven't read all of it, and I, I don't know very much about it. But it's finally coming. It's like a secret biography. There's all these biographies of these common folks. Not these high lamas, reincarnated, but, and, 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 and people with names. But, but people that you don't know that practice and have studied and practiced and become liberated. And even little retreat monasteries, or little gompas way up there, of these exalted beings that hardly anybody knows about. Except that their biographies eventually find their way out to be translated or in somebody's hands. See what I mean? So countless beings have become liberated, or some degree of liberation, from that momentous liberation of the historic Buddha. It's not, it's not, and, and there's no scholar that thinks it's all made up. This was a real being. It's not scholars going, oh, you know, it's a myth. It isn't like that. Yeah? There's a real there was a real historic being, and the talks are recorded by memory. Mm -hmm. Memory verse form, that's what they did. Still people do that today. Still a tradition going on today. There's hundreds and hundreds of beings that have perfect memorization of the entire of the Buddhist teaching. All in there, or there. And they can recite it. So every, 
Every so often they get together in Burma or some other country, they all sit together and they recite the entire teaching and that's, that gets written down and that is the most accurate teaching. Not the book. Their memories are more accurate. There's more typos in this than there would be in someone who has an oral tradition. Isn't that amazing? The last big conference was where? In Burma. In a football stadium, I think. I think it was a football statement, statement, Rangoon, yeah, all got together. 500, 500 people got together, all specialists that way, caring for 2,500 years, carrying the tradition of hearing the teaching orally and passing it down, passing it down, passing it down, passing it down. It's amazing. So let me read this again. In the first category, objects abiding in front of us, the Buddha is the images the images of the thus gone one. You get the idea, I hope. In a state of full realization, in a state of full realization, the objects are the Buddha as the embodiment of the three kayas. So the Buddha, as a being of full realization, represents the three Buddha bodies, which are latent in all of us. That's what you take refuge in, in Buddha nature. In Buddha nature. And what does that become? It means taking refuge in your Buddha nature, which is whose Buddha nature? All Buddha nature. The Dharma is the as the peace of the precious noble Dharma and Nirvana and the Sangha, consisting of bodhisattvas who have attained the great Bhumis, the great stage of liberation. Regarding the object of suchness, Buddha alone is the object of refuge. The unsurpassed Tantra says, ultimately, only the Buddha constitutes a refuge for beings. The Buddha, the three kayas, the three Buddha bodies. In that case, how can Buddha be the ultimate refuge? The same text says, quote, because that great victor is the embodiment of Dharma. That's beautiful. Because that being and Buddha nature embodies, manifests, liberation, teaches liberation. Does, does that make sense? That's why it's precious. It doesn't just go, I'm enlightened, but actually can speak clearly for all kinds of beings how they can become liberated. So you know the story of, of the Buddha. So according to the Buddha, he becomes enlightened, right? He becomes enlightened. Okay. So under the Bodhisattva comes lighten. Okay. And, and according to the uh, Abhidhamma tradition, not only did he become enlightened, but then he had to have another enlightenment because he wasn't fully enlightened. He had to actually expound and uh, have transmission of the Patana. This is in the Burmese tradition. Okay? So he had a second liberation. That second liberation, then the aura manifested of full Buddhahood. Okay, so now he gets him off his seat and he's going for a walk. He walks down the path. This is a bit of a short form. Walks down the path, a little bit of a, I'm not exaggerating, I'm just kind of making it short. Walks on the path and meets a wanderer. And the wanderer says, hello, how are you? And the Buddha says, oh, hello, how are you? And the wanderer says, as you would, what have you discovered? What, 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 what are you up to? You know, two wanderers? Like, share, share what you're, you're into, man. Right? So the Buddha says, well, sure, I'm enlightened. I discovered enlightenment. And the guy goes... <clears throat> Something like that. I can't remember exactly what the text does, but, but something like, like, oh, sure. The guy walks on. 
Now the Shramanar walks on, but goes, but it's obvious. I mean, it's just clear. Awakenings happen. Awakeness is there. But you see, it wasn't compassionate. Just to declare it and say, look how obvious it is, isn't compassionate. One has to actually explain the path and explain what it is, this liberated. Did you understand? That was the momentous thing. To me, that, that story, or what he related, was, was, a, was a fantastic momentous event because it's not good enough to just go, look, I'm liberated, can't you see it? Just, just become liberated. One actually has to expound for those beings that you're talking to how that would work in the terms that they can understand it. So the first discourse he gave, he walked into the deer park and there were, what, five of his previous disciples. They looked at him and said, what happened to you? Wouldn't that make sense? They got some fuzz out of their eyes, good practitioners. What happened to you? So they put down the, the um, seat, prepared the seat for him. He sat down and said, I have discovered uh, the um, liberation. Okay, go on, go on. So what did he do? He explained the Four Noble Truths. That was perfect teaching for those beings at that time. One of them became, became an arhat on hearing that. The other shortly after. That's called great skill and means. So that's what we're talking about here. The preciousness of being able to manifest and expound the Dharma, not just, I got something and you don't. I feel good. Is there anything, any reason why you don't? Because that great victor, by the way, the word victor in, in Tibetan is namjo, that great victor is the embodiment of, of Dharma, which is the ultimate attainment of the Sangha. It's the ultimate attainment of the Sangha. That's what the real Sangha is. Realization. Due to being the ultimate refuge, the sage, the Buddha, is free from birth and cessation, is fully purified, is free from desire, and has the nature of the Dharmakaya. That is, nature of suchness. No suchness. The assembly of the three vehicles attains perfection when it achieves the ultimate purity of the Dharmakaya, which I explained the other day. Therefore, the sage is the ultimate refuge. In that case, the Dharma and the Sangha, the ultimate refuge, are the, are the Dharma and Sangha the ultimate refuge or not? The unsurpassed Tantra says, quote, neither both aspects of Dharma nor the assembly of noble ones constitutes a supreme refuge. Why are they not the ultimate refuge? The first type of Dharma is merely the assembly of a heap of names of writing. All those texts. It can't be a true refuge. Can you take refuge in a text? Letters spelt out on a page. Once you cross, you have, you have to give it up like a boat. Therefore, it is not the ultimate refuge. It's not the ultimate refuge. You can't, you can't take refuge under a Dharma text. If it was the ultimate refuge, all these books would be, people would be awakening, pop, 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 pop. You study these, and then what do you do? 
you practice. And when you have enough practice, you refer back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What do you eventually do? You cross over. Do you ever have to refer to these again? It's in you. You can speak it, you can manifest, it's in you. That's refuge. This cannot be ultimate refuge. Is it partial refuge? Yes. Is it precious? Yes. Are they, should be these be respected? Absolutely. Are they used for compassion? Yes. Once you cross, you have to give it up. You have to give the text up. Like a boat. Therefore, it is not the ultimate refuge. Of the two aspects of the Dharma of realization, the truth of the path is composite, and so it is impermanent. Therefore, it is deceptive and not the ultimate refuge. According to the hearers, the truth of cessation ceases its continuity like extinguishing a lamp. So it's non-existent and therefore not the ultimate refuge. The Sangha itself fears samsara and goes for refuge to the Buddha. Because it has this fear, is not the ultimate refuge. It's very taking everything away and saying, what's the ultimate refuge? What's the ultimate refuge? The realization of Buddha nature. That's it. Everything comes from there. Thus, the unsurpassed Tantra says, because of being abandoned and because of deception, because of not existing and because it is with fear, the two types of Dharma and the noble assembly are not the ultimate refuge. Therefore, Acharya, Asanga said, quote, the inexhaustible refuge, the eternal refuge, the unchanging refuge, the ultimate refuge is only one, the thus gone one, the foe destroyer, the complete, perfect Buddha. Is that, under, is, that, is that landing anywhere? Is that meaningful? Do you have any... To understand that. One makes a mistake to say, that, that I take refuge. Uh, you can take refuge in the historic Buddha if you understand what that means. If you don't, they become, it becomes a deity. Does, does this make sense? It can't become theistic or de- deityistic. It must be understood how precious... Buddhahood is, the power of Buddhahood, the jewel-like nature of the enlightened mind. That's the ultimate source. In that case, doesn't this contradict the explanation that there are three types of refuge? The three refuges appear as a method to lead sentient beings. He's being very compassionate. What he's saying is, uh, oh, oh, just contradicted the fact that you just contradict the statement there's three refuges. Just took, just took two away. He's saying, out of compassion, those two are refuges. They, they, in other words, he's saying, they're really good. Don't discard them. They'll take you a very long way. Hmm? Ultimately, what do you have to have as refuge? Buddha nature. The nature of mind itself. Otherwise, how long are you going to take refuge in the Sangha? For a long time. But even then, you still must do it yourself, yes? How long are you going to take refuge in Dharma books? Until they swamp you? The house tips over? It's so heavy that the house actually sinks on one side? Is that, is that it? Besides that, Buddha nature is very light. You can take it anywhere. 
fits, it fits in one volume. Yeah, actually, even smaller than a volume. It even fits smaller than a letter. Even smaller than the letter A. A little bit of grain of ink in the letter A. Even the space inside the letter A. It's light. It's very light. Let's come up to the section there. How are the three methods laid out? The unsurpassed Tantra says, quote, by the teacher, teachings, and disciples, three vehicles and three actors, according to interests, the three refuges were laid out. Do you see? Out of compassion for how beings experience the world. Vehicles, by teachers, teaching, and disciples. The three methods were laid out according to the three qualities, three vehicles, three actors, and three aspirations. Furthermore, in order to demonstrate the qualities of the teacher, the Buddha is the refuge for persons of the Bodhisattva vehicle and those who are interested in performing supreme activities of a Buddha. They take refuge in the Buddha, the supreme being of the two-leggeds. The supreme being of the two-leggeds. In other words, of humans. This is a human being that pulled off something quite extraordinary. That's worthy of taking refuge. But if it's, a, if it's a historic being, you're in trouble. If you feel that historic being, or the, the, the picture over here uh, of the Buddha, is going to liberate you, uh-oh, not. You have to understand what? The power of Buddha nature. In order to demonstrate the qualities of the teachings, the Dharma is the refuge for persons of the solitary realizer vehicle and those who are interested in the work of the Dharma. They take refuge in Dharma, the supreme freedom from all attachments. Saying there's a different quality here. If you take, if your main focus is on Dharma, teachings of Dharma, then it's about uh, uh, supreme freedom from all attachments, but it's not full Buddhahood. In order to demonstrate the qualities of the practitioners of the Sangha, it is the refuge for persons of the hearer vehicle and those who are interested in the work of the Sangha. The work of the Sangha. They take refuge in the Sangha, the most excellent of all communities. So it's saying there's basically three levels here. But if you really want um, exalted liberation, it's in the Buddha. Thus, the three refuges are laid out by the three meanings and according to the six persons. The exalted blessed one said this in a conventional state, in order that all sentient beings could gradually enter into the different stages of the vehicles. Let me give you an example of this. These are beings that are more... So, so there's beings that are... More, let me give you a, a, a little bit of a, kind of a rendition of this. There are beings that are more comfortable in developing within a sangha, not a, not a teacher, not a... Not a a, uh, not in the teacher's mandala, but in the sangha. So you have communities of beings that get together and live together as an egalitarian society uh, of practitioners, and that's their vehicle. Okay? That makes sense? Lots of people do that. Lots of people do that. doesn't mean there's anybody realized there. But it's, it's the importance is about community. 
is developing enlightened community. Okay? Then you have people that are scholars. They are uh, what they call solitary realists. They, they take Dharma books. They can study CDs and DVDs and download things. And they're on their own. And they're, they're studying. They're pouring through that material. And in theory, they could liberate, but they'll liberate uh, with their own personal liberation, not totality. You've seen the three stages? It follows the three stages as given up before. And they, they say that's the here. When it comes to the full liberation, totality, suchness, then it's about taking refuge in the Buddha. The full nature. And this is why in Vajrayana, the Lama, or the Guru, becomes, more, becomes the important point, not the community. In other words, there's people that, that go, well, it's nice, the teacher, but they actually focus always on the community. Or they focus on Dharma texts. But actually, uh, in, in this teaching, you clearly see, focus on the mind, Buddha mind, Buddha mind, the, the essence. Have I spelled it out clear enough? Yeah. And he has too. Just a few more paragraphs. Time. So let me, let me read this again. The exalted blessed one said this in a conventional state, using ordinary language, in order that all sentient beings could gradually enter into the different stages of the vehicles. For some beings, Dharma books are their sole refuge for decades, if not a lifetime. And they have great, they can have amazing um, uh, uh, freedom from that, but not total. Others, it's community, a, a perfect community, getting the community right, having all the good qualities of a sangha, of a dharma community to support them and, and foster them. So, so uh, in the case of the sangha, it's the hero vehicle. In the case of the dharma, it's a solitary realizer, the uh, um, Pracheka Buddha. Do you know these? We, we went over these before. You may not remember this. So you have Pracheka Buddha, and then you have the, um, the here, the Shraka. But for those who are entering into the Bodhisattva vehicle, the Mahayana vehicle, the focus is on a Buddha. Does this make sense? Okay. A two legged being. Can see? So you've got two legged being who's got realization. You've got Dharma, this embodying the realization, books, books, text, teachings, oral transmissions, and then you've got what? A community of beings that embody that. He's saying, he's actually saying clearly, the first one is for those that want to become bodhisattvas, remove all the veils to compassion, all the veils of compassion and emptiness. The next one is about self, the next one is about self. Time, number four. Time has two subdivisions. In the common way, one takes refuge from now until death. In other words, it's for this life. In the special type which you received, one takes refuge from this time onward until the ultimate enlightenment is achieved, no matter which lifetime. So that's why you receive the extensive refuge. The, uh, the what's called the special refuge. Because it crosses over lifetimes. Five, motivation. There are also two types of motivation. 
the common motivations take refuge with a thought of one's own unbearable suffering. The special one is to take refuge with a thought of others' unbearable suffering. It's two types. We put the two together. Because for most beings, it's your own suffering and all beings. Hmm? So you want the two, those two together. Okay, and the next section is a ceremony, which, which I'll uh, um, come back to tomorrow night. Okay? Tomorrow night. Good. Any questions? This is actually not, uh, I believe for a lot of people, the easiest passage to understand. It's actually quite advanced. It is not the easiest passage to, to follow. It's actually quite um, subtle. There needs to be some maturity, uh, maturation to actually uh, grasp the import of that. It sounds a bit esoteric, but actually it's very direct. Another way of saying it is you only go so far by not relying on a two-legged realized being. That's really what it's saying. So he hasn't come out and said it, but he actually is coming from the Vajrayana perspective. So this is why the commentator of this book and others have said the beautiful thing about Gampopa and this, this particular text is it's very classic Mahayana, but in it is mixed without him ever saying the Mahamudra path, which at that time was secret. So all kinds of other things are in here. Uh, and there's tantric references in here which, which would not normally be given in, in Mahayana. So all kinds of Mahamudra um, view, uh, Mahamudra experience, ma- uh, the Vajrayana vehicle uh, is, is in here, woven in here, but not quoted. Not just not quoted. Occasionally quoted, but most of it's a line here, a line there. You go, ooh, ooh, he just made a little jump. Hmm. Okay. Because he had two teachers, two main teachers, the lineage of Tisha, and Milarepa. One was a yogi, one was monastic. One was one, one form of teaching, one was the other teaching, both striving for the same thing, but a qualitative difference, one mixed with quintessential teachings of liberating the nature of mind, Buddhahood. Other, gradual, very gradual, very gradual, very gradual. Any questions? Are you... I, I don't expect you to get it, but, but just to hear it. It's good. It might take years for it to sink in. We train in reducing the fear to being there for other beings and supporting them in liberation. There's many, many beings on this planet who support other beings for good cause, causes. Hospitals, reducing malaria, yes? All kinds of good things. Building libraries? Building shelters for people, uh, uh, giving them food. Yes, these are all good. They're all compassionate acts. But not so common to place your energies to support that, plus also freedom. That so, so beings get the opportunity and the means and everything else to become liberated, free from afflictive emotion. Building a hospital in no way can help a person. It may support, but it doesn't actually give a person the means to come out of afflictive emotion. Is this right? We can build 500 schools 
and the same stuff goes on in those 500 schools. I worked in a college environment, in a school. It's riddled with afflictive emotion. I worked in many schools, riddled. Universities? We could build five million universities around the planet. And guess what? And teach neurophysiology and neurocognitive psychology, right? And therapy, everything else. What would happen? The afflictive emotions would not be vanquished with compassion. Does it make sense? It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what the noble aspect is. So support hospitals, support schools, support food banks, because they're really necessary for, for love, so people can get an opportunity to become free. If someone is completely concerned with themselves, and they don't know where their food's going to come from, and they don't have a very good education, and they're bewildered, and they're tired, and so on and so forth, and they hurt, it's really hard to practice Dharma. Basic needs. We need to support basic. It's called love. But without the support of Buddha Dharma, liberation of afflictive emotions, the same afflictive emotions go on. And the same people break their leg. And the same people rip each other off. And the same people tell lies. And the same people break into other file cabinets. And the same people have wars within companies and bureaucracies and hurt people and gossip and take countries down and go to war over and over and over again, no matter what their education level is. There's a doctor right now, a doctor who's the head of Syria, who's waging a maniacal war. He's a very well-educated man, beautifully educated comes from a well-educated family. He's insane. Riddled with reflective emotion. He could have been out of there. He could have done all kinds of incredible... He had the opportunity to do incredible stuff for his country. Right? Didn't take the opportunity. Probably because he also wasn't allowed to. Boxed him in. But clearly, he, he had the opportunity. Yeah? Did you see what I mean? The same way that the nobility and royal families of Nepal, instead of wasting all that taxpayers, all that aid money, for decade after decade, one of, the, one of the worst shameful records in the history of the planet for wasting and gobbling up and, and, and siphoning off aid money, like no other country in the world, it's famous by aid workers, could have been helping people building schools and hospitals and feeding their, their people. You know, it would have been a completely different place. But know what they do? Siphoning it all off into Switzerland taking 20% here, 30% here, 50% here, so that the actual gross domestic product outside of Kathmandu never rose in 50 or 60 years. The education levels never went up. Access to schools and health never went up. Do you see what I mean? And these are very well-educated people. Greed. Greed. Greed, hatred, delusion, pride and jealousy. No matter what the education levels. You see? Liberation. Dharma is precious. Dharma is precious. 
no matter what form it takes, whether it's manifests by a Christian mystic or a Sufi or a Hindu, do you follow? Or an Aboriginal, no matter what. It's the Four Noble Truths, even if they don't clearly know, if it's the Four Noble Truths and it's the removal of afflictive emotions and the awake mind of merged with compassion, that's precious. That's a jewel. So for me, I'm quite passionate about this. Why am I passionate? Because I see people actually grow. Whereas when I see them get more have more education, get more education, it's good grammar. Obviously, I didn't take much grammar, study much grammar at school. It's clearly, it's evident. When I see people actually become uh, happy in a continuum and clear about the nature of reality, get real. This is the most beautiful thing. It's precious. It's like a golden gem. It's this more than any diamond. Well, maybe an electron microscope. Yeah, okay, even electron microscope. Even, 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 even that. Okay. okay. So, what are you going to meditate on? I'd really like you to contemplate refuge. I really want you to contemplate refuge. I want you to see it. What are you taking refuge in? What do your friends and family and community and Westerners take refuge in? Where is real refuge? What is it you want? What's, what's the umbrella? Where's the shelter? Freedom. Hmm? Freedom. Freedom. If you want that, then you have to identify what it is that can actually lead you there. Hmm? And then if you're very smart, I mean in a, in a, in a, in a uh, down-to-earth way, you'll start to see the glimmerings of that. Bit by bit by bit by bit. Not because you believe, but because you have confidence. Confidence means you see it with your own eyes. So tomorrow night, I hear. Idande punikamang asuwaki wango tu. Idande punikamang asuwaki wango tu. Idande punikamang asuwaki wango tu. Sabe sakta sutahantu. May all beings be well and happy. May all beings be established in a continuity of freedom. The full manifestation of Buddhahood which is the union of compassion and wisdom. For all beings, for all beings, for all beings. Good.